0: what is going on everybody and welcome to the college info geek podcast my name is thomas frank and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student and today we are diving into the world of math and science and uh, hopefully this episode is going to give you a bunch of tips on how to study and learn more effectively in those subjects because Today, my guest on the show is Dr. Karen Christian, who is the founder of ochemstudygroup.com, and she is also a PhD in organic chemistry education. And in this conversation, we're gonna focus on organic chemistry as an example some of the tactics and study strategies you can use to become better in math and science as a whole. and This is an area of study that I've really wanted to dig into for a long time, so consider this one of my first forays into it and we will definitely do more in the future. Now I do have a little bit of a confession to make, and that is that I never even took basic chemistry in high school. I actually uh, took physics right after biology in my junior year, and then once I got to my senior year, I had so many foreign language classes and business classes I was taking, there was absolutely no time for chemistry. So I went through college with very little in the way of science education and uh, not a whole lot in math other than statistics. So this is something that I don't have a whole lot of formal education in, but it is something I'm fascinated with. I've read several different books on math and science since I graduated. I've become much more interested in these subjects, and I'm just really curious on the differences in uh, what it takes to study and succeed in these areas versus other areas like history or sociology or language and English, those kind of things. So that's what we're gonna dig into in this episode. And if you do happen to be in organic chemistry and you wanna get extra supplemental education and help, ochemstudygroup.com is where Karen has full study guide courses that you can buy but she also has a YouTube channel with some free videos that go through some core concepts in chemistry and she also has a Facebook group where you can go ask questions about chemistry and get answers to them so I'll have all that stuff linked up in the show notes and you can find those show notes over at cigpodcast.com 132 so without further ado let's get into this interview Karen, welcome to my show.
1: Hi, I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, glad to be here as well. I guess this is my show, but glad to be back on my show. <laughs> How's it going?
1: It's going pretty good.
0: Yeah. So you, did you say you grew up in Iowa?
1: Uh, Well, I went to uh, my, I did my undergraduate in Iowa. I, I'm from Wisconsin actually originally.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Cause I know you live in Arizona now. So I was wondering like, did she come from Arizona all the way to Iowa for school or, or not? No. <laughs>
1: No, no, because I saw that you had spoken at Luther College and that's mm-hmm. actually my alma mater. So I was, you know, excited for that.
0: That's cool. That was a really fun speaking thing. It was <laughs> it was my second paid one ever. So I was still uh-huh. a little bit nervous, but it was a lot of fun. What prompted you to go to Luther?
1: Well, several things, um, primarily finances. My dad has is a professor at Marquette University. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a tuition exchange program so I could go to other religiously affiliated schools that were affiliated with Marquette for almost free. So that was one of the uh, deciding wow. factors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: that is really, an awesome program. A really, really big perk for, uh, for working there. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you, I know you said you have a PhD in organic chemistry education. Now, does that mean you have a PhD in organic chemistry or is that like a fully separate program with an educational focus?
1: so my phd it was in the chemistry department so mm-hmm. technically my major was organic chemistry and my minor was education but i did all of my research on the education side okay so it, it kind of a dual i don't know you know i took all the classes in, in organic chemistry and other chemistry aspects as a graduate student but the research was education
0: gotcha and was that a was luther your graduate school as well or did you go somewhere else for that
1: I went to University of Arizona for gotcha. my graduate. Yeah. So
0: was that something they had in place, or did you come in and say, "Hey, I want to do a graduate degree in organic chemistry, but I really want to focus on education"?
1: No, um, it, it's a it's a growing movement to put to have science education professors in the actual science department. So okay. they already had a, a program set up there for chemistry education when I went there. That's cool.
0: Okay, yeah. so uh, you probably know a little bit about my backstory with my website but one thing I have not told people because it's kind of mundane but I had a girlfriend who uh, was in organic chemistry when I was dating her and this Mm -hmm. was bad for me because (laughs) I was the poor sap who had to hold the stacks and stacks (laughs) of flashcards and help her go through them (laughs) so I guess my first question for you is how do you go through undergraduate organic chemistry and decide that you want to keep doing that.
1: Because <laughs> uh, you know, it was ridiculous. So, well, let me ask you, was your um was your girlfriend did was she a chemistry major at the time when she was taking it?
0: No, she was an agronomy major. And this was a previous okay. girlfriend, but yeah, she was so she right. was not okay. majoring in chemistry, she was majoring in agronomy, but she still had to take all the the science right. kind of stuff.
1: So here's the thing in organic chemistry, there's such a small minor- minority of people who are actually in, um, who are actually chemistry majors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of funny. Most of the people who are taking it won't ever need organic chemistry. I mean, they may use some small application of it, but very few people are going to use it mm-hmm. post then. So I can see that there, there's a, a lot of people who come to the class who, just intrinsically that's not what they're interested in they just have <laughs> to take the class and for them oh my goodness what a mountain load of work to do mm-hmm. but i you know besi- besides the fact that organic chemistry gets such a bad rap i think it's a fascinating class it's like a giant puzzle that you have to put together mm. and despite the fact that maybe you have to memorize um you know a stack of reactions this still the application of that memorization is really it's kind of fun. And once you have it memorized, it's, it's putting puzzle pieces together and, and figuring out solving puzzles. And I I don't know, I think that's a, I think that's a a fun thing to do.
0: Okay. That's cool. I wanted to pull your leg a little bit. I know it's actually interesting. I just know that personally as a business major, I was not very (laughs) excited to go through, uh, 250 organic chemistry slides.
1: Yeah, well, over actually, my again. my roommate in <laughs> my roommate in college liked it when I'd have people over to study in our room. She said it helped put her to sleep. So maybe you just That's needed to take to it, a it. different stance. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I probably could have done with that in college. Instead of people studying my room, people came over and played Call of Duty, yeah. and uh, I would have to force myself to fall asleep with them there.
1: <laughs> That's hard.
0: <laughs> hey, you get really good at falling asleep with noise when mm-hmm. you have to wake up for a six a.m. ROTC class. And oh my goodness. we're playing Cod. Ah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How can they even have something at 6 a.m. At, at the college level that just seems cruel?
0: Well, I don't know if Luther did this at all, but at Iowa State and at all the big state universities, there are ROTC military programs. And mm-hmm. I was never in the military, but they offer a physical training, just like a workout class, basically. All the ROTC kids have to take it. But if you want, you can sign up as a civilian and work out with them in the mornings. And I was at a time in my college career where I had been a little bit off of my workout schedule, kind of lazy. So I was like, you know what? I'm taking the nuclear option. I'm going to sign up for a class that forces me to get up at 6 a.m. and go work out, which I did. (laughs) And I mean, that was really helpful, actually. It sucked getting up at 530 to make it to class. But what I ended up noticing is at 7 a.m. when the workout was done... I was like fresh and really energetic because I just had a workout mm-hmm. and now it's seven and I have the whole day ahead of me. So it was cool. There was definitely like a battle with the, the sleep thing.
1: Getting yeah. to bed early
0: in a dorm is not easy, but <laughs> I liked the results that I got. So that was fun. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I with mean, organic, sound- oh, go yes. ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say that sounds good to me now, but I think at the time, if, if I was actually in school, I don't think I would have been able
0: to do that. <laughs> it's one of those hindsight things. Yeah, Like when you look at yeah. your uh, all the jobs you did as a teenager, I don't know if you did jobs as a teenager, but I did. And mm-hmm. uh, if I am if I were to think very objectively about them, they all kind of sucked. But <laughs> I look back now with rose tinted glasses and I'm like, man, the value of hard work was instilled into me by bagging <laughs> groceries and trudging through cornfields for eight hours. It was great. Uh, it wasn't actually great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with organic chemistry, w- I know the difference between chemistry and organic chemistry is that you're dealing with the chemistry of organic material, but beyond that, I'm like completely naive. So what's really the difference there?
1: Uh, so organic chemistry, I would say it has a few differences. One of the big main differences is that it's all qualitative. There are no, oh. there are no formulas. There's no math. There's no calculations I have to do at all. And that's different than most of the other disciplines in chemistry or, you know, many other sciences or math classes, things like that. Mm -hmm. It also requires a different type of reasoning than a lot of other STEM subjects. And one of the things I did when I was, when I was researching how students studied organic chemistry is I, I took a look at the, the different types of reasoning that they used and I didn't categorize for other subjects, but just based on my own experience in taking other math and science classes, I could see that there's a lot of different types of reasoning. So a lot of, a lot of STEM subjects will use rule-based reasoning. So if you can, if you can apply an algorithm, you can solve a problem, right? right. So going back to, I mean, I don't know when you learned this elementary school, when you learn how to add fractions, mm-hmm. if you, if you know the algorithm, you can solve it, right? You right. have to multiply the number, whatever you have to do. Um, there's a kind of a step by step way to do it. In organic chemistry, there's a little bit of that, especially at the first at the very beginning of it, uh, when you're learning kind of the foundational principles. But once you really get into it, there's not a step by step algorithm for you to solve the types of problems that they want you to solve. It's very open-ended, um, you know, put puzzle pieces together or kind of creatively figure out what multiple pathways will get you from one chemical compound to another. So it's just, it requires a different type of thinking really.
0: Okay. So what have you found are the practices that help students get more into that mode of thinking? Cause when I think of STEM, I think of algorithmic thinking. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what I found was actually that whenever possible, students would try to take something that maybe would have used um, more of uh, a different mode of thinking and try to force it into a rule-based type of thinking. So if they could hang on to some type of rule, they'd try to squeeze it in there and fit in and try to, try to make it work for them. And this can be good, it minimizes your cognitive effort because if you can remember that one one trick, it can help you, but it's very it's very specific to that one circumstance. So it's not exactly helpful in all in all cases. So I think really it just takes a lot of practice. If you're going to do what I call this is case-based learning or wow. case-based reasoning where you have to refer back to specific cases you've seen before and from that draw inferences and take cues from that to to solve a new type of problem. So you have to have two things in order to do uh, case-based reasoning. You have to have a knowledge of past experiences. So you have to have that stack of, you know, your stack of reactions memorized. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to have the ability to retrieve that information at the right situation. So you need to be able to recognize the cues and, and know when to retrieve the right piece of information. So it's, it's really practice in both of those, those aspects.
0: So it kind of sounds like it's really essential to build little hooks from many different cues back to one specific piece of information in your brain
1: yes what if you're trying to memorize reactions for example what I would recommend is to to think about how they are all similar so well maybe I'll give you an example so this is a reaction that you might actually be familiar with mm-hmm. if you have carbon-carbon double bonds you can do a reaction called hydrogenation you may have heard that from making margarine yeah Right, you add hydrogen to so those double bonds and it, it takes a, an unsaturated fatty acid and turns it to a saturated acid makes it solid like margarine. Uh-huh. So that is one type of reaction that transforms a, a part of your molecule double bond into something else. So if you're trying to remember this, what would be helpful is not just to think of that as a, as a discrete reaction that you have to remember, but to think of what are all of the different reactions that you can form from a double-double bond, a, a double bond of, of carbon or, or whatever your beginning compound would be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to chunk it and organize it in that manner so that when you're trying to retrieve it, you can think back and it's, it's organizing it in a better manner.
0: So you're learning the rules of how double bonds work. You're learning how it relates to all sorts of other concepts rather than just thinking this happens when this happens and that's just kind of a floating piece of information that's isolated from everything else along with a thousand other things.
1: Right. If you can, if you can think of what the connecting pieces are between different pieces of information that you have to know that that makes it a little bit easier.
0: Okay. So I, and I know we're, we're focusing a lot on organic chemistry here and I do want to branch out into STEM, uh, you know, math and science as a whole a little bit, but organic chemistry is something I have some familiarity with because I was helping that girlfriend study. (laughs) Right. And uh, to be honest, I never even took basic chemistry. Like, I haven't even taken high school chemistry. Um, I took physics first in high school after biology. Most people do biology, chemistry, Mm -hmm. physics. I did biology and then said, ooh, hitting stuff and doing egg drops sounds fun. I'm going to do physics. And then I got to senior year and my schedule was so full I had no time for chemistry. So I had to take some of the classes to get a scholarship. So I Mm -hmm. bailed on it, never ended up doing it. So I know nothing beyond what I read in The Disappearing Spoon, which is an interesting book about the... uh, periodic table and then some nutrition science stuff. But with organic chemistry, the thing that I remember my ex-girlfriend doing so much was going through flashcards. Mm -hmm. So do you think that that is really essential to do, or is there a more efficient way to learn all those reactions and bonds and things like that?
1: Uh, You'll get a lot of people that say, don't just memorize. Mm -hmm. And it is true. You really, if you just are memorizing um, what's on your flashcard, then you're missing a lot because there are theories behind why chemicals react the way that they do. Mm. So if you can understand why things are working the way that they do, then again, you're making more connection points between what you're learning and you're able to apply it to a greater, you know, a greater situation where you might see something that's unfamiliar. So, yeah, so I think flashcards are important to a certain extent, but also being able to understand underlying chemical models, will help you to solve unfamiliar tasks. Mm -hmm. So and and actually I'll say this also because one thing that I observed when I was doing my research was that students would would sometimes organize themselves in a review sort of mode where they're just working on either flashcards or, you know, rewriting uh, the information from their notes, and then other groups would organize themselves in terms of working on practice problems or maybe they just get together to discuss the content. So there, there's a, a million different ways that you can think of to, to study the material. And my recommendation is once you have some of that solidified, some of the memorization solidified, that it's really crucial to do some practice problems because you don't recognize where your limitations are until you, do, until you work on someone else's problem. Um, and also when you are working on problems and you're coming up against something that is unfamiliar, uh, you're working on retrieving information, which Mm -hmm. is something you need on your exam. You're not just going to be asked to write out an equation, right? Or solve a flashcard on an exam question. You're going to actually have to be asked to solve a problem where you use that information in a new way. So training your brain to work that way, to actual problem solve. Um, Is is probably pretty important too. Okay.
0: (laughs) So on that note of practice problems, I have wanted to make a how to get better at math video Mm -hmm. for a long time. It's one of these videos that I keep putting off because even though I have told people not to be perfectionist, I am. It's like I I I view it as one of those subjects where it's like, okay, that video could be the pinnacle, like so amazing. So then I never do it. I need to get done, (laughs) but. Anytime I sit down and write out tips for learning math or learning science, but really math is the one that sticks in my head. The biggest one that just comes to mind is just work practice problems. But it Mm -hmm. sounds like it's so obvious. What can we do to drill into just do practice problems to make it more helpful? Is there there a specific way to do practice problems? Can we take notes in such a way that enables us to do them better? Should we build our own problems or ask for extras that are already pre-made? Um, what's the best kind of plan of attack?
1: Well, I would say, with respect to your last question, one of the ways I saw students study was making their own problems, mm-hmm. and it actually—I I would not actually recommend that as a, as a method of studying. Really? If you're if you're making problems for someone else to work on, uh, what happens is that your your questions are not challenging enough, basically, for yourself so or question, for someone else. For someone else to work on. So, uh-huh. um, if you're trying to come up with a, a problem to you know, maybe you've got a study partner and you're both saying, OK, I'll make some problems, you make some problems, we'll switch and we'll work on them. Mm-hmm. It's not engaging your brain to the as deep of a level as you'll be asked to to think about it on the actual exam. So I don't recommend that. OK. Um, working on a either problems that are provided by your instructor or that are in your textbook is going to require you to think a little bit deeper mm. than in other situations. Other thing that I recommend is allow yourself the allow yourself to struggle with those problems because sometimes you'll work on a problem and if you I mean everyone has a different approach and if if you don't know the answer right away you can you know just move on to a different problem or you can um ask your friend or you can come back to it but allowing yourself to um to deal with the uncertainty of not knowing what the answer is to a problem Helps you to, uh, even even though it feels like you're not accomplishing very much, it it helps you in new situations when you don't know what the answer is to a problem and you're trying to problem solve. Mm-hmm. So, uh, overcoming that uncertainty and working through it, w- w- however long it takes, will help you on your on your exam when you're you're looking at a new problem and you, and you can't remember what to do. Yeah. Um. The other thing I would say is that in a in a math class, for example you're again working with a lot of rule-based types of uh, problems where if you can remember the algorithm and then all you have to do is take the algorithm and apply it to the particular situation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's just trying is just learning the algorithm and then remembering in what situation it applies. So if you can practice that or organize it in your head or reorganize your notes in order to um, make sense of what application goes where that, that can help you out as well
0: do you think it's worth your time to sit down and memorize formulas using things like flashcards or do you think you can learn formulas well enough just by applying them as you're referencing them right in front of you
1: oh well it may depend on the circumstance and how often you need to use a what's the word uh, a formula A formula thank you (laughs) Uh, uh, but i think probably it's best if you can memorize it while doing it because then it it is ingrained in that methodology okay um and you have got that practice down that so you can help associate with what all those symbols mean
0: so if we're building kind of a timetable for learning a new concept or maybe a run-up to an exam i suppose and maybe you can critique this the Mm -hmm. maybe best possible path that sticks out in my mind is number one, you have the lecture content. So you're taking notes, you're trying to write down as much as you can in class and write down as many examples as you can. From there, I think what I would do is I would apply the formula at least a few times first before sitting down to try to memorize it. Because then later on, when I'm memorizing it, I know kind of intricately how it works. And I'm not just trying to memorize a bunch of squiggles like, oh, here's a thing that looks kind of like an S and there's an F in front yeah. of it and an X. And then later on, maybe I would do some more applications. So I'd kind of sandwich my, my formula memorization sessions in between practice sessions. Does that sound like a good strategy?
1: That sounds like a great strategy. And I would say in all of the, in all the math type classes that I've taken there have always been, and I don't know if this is the same everywhere, but there have always been homework problems that are given after every session. Mm-hmm. And whether or not those are graded or you have to turn them in, I mean, that is studying, basically. Yeah. you know, it's it's you may you may think of it as, oh, I have to get my homework done, but that is an opportunity to to study so that you're not, you know, the day before an exam trying to to learn all this as well. So yeah, if you can keep up with it, and as you're learning it work on those problem sets and and use that time to help try to solidify what the, what the formulas are yeah, yeah. that can help you
0: and that was that was probably my big mistake that halted my math education because i was i was one year advanced in high school so i got to calculus as a senior and mm-hmm. trig on down was fairly easy just kind of intuitive but i really struggled with calculus and i just intrinsically saw the homework as points to be Mm -hmm. applied to my grade and I would always make this mistake of you know when class I would be watching the professor or the teacher I guess work through an example problem and I would sit there and go that makes sense that makes sense it's totally logical (laughs) and I wouldn't write it down or maybe I'd Mm -hmm. write down the problem but I wouldn't write down all of his steps and take little notes in the margin or anything and then I'd go Mm -hmm. home and look at the homework problems which are using the same formulas, but all of a sudden, oh, there's one little tiny detail that's different. And now I've just hit into like a brick wall and I can't do anything uh, anymore. Cause like it, like you said, I'm just struggling. So, and because I didn't really view it as practice, I would just go and look at the solution manual a little bit too yeah. much, or I'd go get too much help for friends and stuff <laughs> like that
1: that's okay so that's actually why i feel like i cannot use rosetta stone is i don't know if you have ever used it but Mm-mm. when you look at uh the way that they try to teach you it's kind of like you answer questions right. and my brain automatically goes into test taking mode and so i think okay what do i do to get the right answer as opposed mm. to what do i do to learn the content <laughs> and so i'm a very good test taker so i can answer the questions and get them right but not learn anything because i'm i'm Focusing on getting the points, right, instead of actually Mm -hmm. learning the material. So, yeah, I recommend focusing on trying to understand it and use that as a study time, not just get the points for your homework. Yeah.
0: I read this story once. I think it was called um, Guessing the Teacher's Password. And the story goes like this. So there's a physics teacher and he has all of his students come into class and he presents this iron bar that's sitting next to the heater like the the base heater uh, by the wall, and he says, I want you to come up here and feel this iron bar. Here's the weird thing about it. The side of it that is closer to the heating element is cooler than the side that is further away. Why is that? And everyone's trying to just feel these guesses, you know, like, oh, maybe there's some weird property of conduction or I don't know, something like that. When in reality, what the teacher had done is just set the iron bar by the heater for half an hour and then turned it around before students came into class. Uh So I think the moral of that story was just a lot of students are afraid to think out of the box or to actually think about the problem in terms of in terms of their own confusion and how it doesn't match Mm -hmm. up to their model of reality instead of just what does the teacher want me to say? Oh, well, this is a physics class and uh, conduction was in my textbook, so I'll just guess that. And I think mm-hmm. that was one of my problems in math is I would just be like, okay, what is going to get this right on the test because I want to get a good grade and don't actually care how it's applied.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's a good strategy on your exam. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> when you're trying to learn the material, it's not a good strategy mm-hmm. because, yeah, you, then you miss all these other extra connections that you have. And, I, you know, I have I have small children at my house and I actually I can almost see this in them already. I have a, a four-year-old and she you know, you'll ask her a question and it's like she can almost, it's almost like she's trying to figure out what the right answer is already. Even at age, you know, four, they pick up on this, that they want to be people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Give the answer that you want instead of, you know, thinking about it and, and (laughs) giving what, whatever answer is supposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. is more relevant, but yeah.
0: (laughs) So I know you are, you know, a science PhD. So you've been doing this for a long time and obviously you're interested in science but I I would guess that there have been classes you've gone through or times in your life where you don't intrinsically care about the material. And I think that's one of the things that leads us to slip into that, just get the grade mindset. So Mm -hmm. do you have any tips or some strategies you might've used to get yourself interested in the material, even if it was just formulas and covalent bonds and stuff like that? Like, how do you, how do you generate curiosity?
1: Oh gosh, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's really hard. I mean, you can, I feel like you can, you can fake it by telling yourself, you know, gear up for this because if you can pass this, then you can do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I don't think that that will ever really trigger intrinsic motivation to do well in a class. I I mean, I don't know. There have been lots of classes that I I, I don't care about and I... <laughs> I put the time and effort into them, but I I never put extra time into those because no matter what I try to do to trick myself, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get yourself to be motivated the same way if you don't have an intrinsic, an an intrinsic, I don't know, interest
0: in it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's a good way to do it with math and science. I know for um, for history classes, what used to work for me and I call this the interest link technique. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's a real thing or not, but. I find if I go play a game like Civilization Five, which is just really fun on its own, or if I listen to a really entertaining podcast like Hardcore History, uh, I, I'm just basically priming my brain and I'm kind of tying links from really interesting narration and story or fun video game to historical subjects. So now I care a little bit more about learning about why they have triangular sails on the Portuguese ships mm-hmm. or all these kind of questions that might be on a test. And I'm not sure if there's a way to do it for math or science beyond watching cosmos or something. <laughs> there's a, so
1: I, you know, there's, um, I know for organic chemistry, again, there's a program called bacon mm-hmm. and it is, I don't know as an individual student, if you can sign up, but I think it might be something your professor has to, you know, set up, mm-hmm. but it it's trying to, I think, gear up interest in those subjects by giving you real life applications to show you what those are. Oh, cool, and, cool. and I think feedback so far for it has been pretty positive. You know, like people like to see why it is they're learning what they're learning. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, if you, if you want to put the time into (laughs) looking to see (laughs) what those things are, but I mean, that's the problem is that if you're not actually all that interested, you probably wouldn't put extra time into figuring out, you know, what, what those applications are. But I, I mean, for whatever it is you're learning, it is it is motivating to see what the real life applications could be or how it relates to the real life. I think that's kind of a something that's a little disappointing about academia is they, they don't always bring it back to real life or tell you what how it applies to things yes. that you know about because that does make it more interesting.
0: I was reading history of Bayesian statistics mm-hmm. and most people don't know this and most people probably wouldn't care, but there's like there for years, decades, there's been this rift in the statistical community Almost like a war of sorts, and you have people who are on the Bayesian side and people who are on the—I oh, forget what they call it—the other—the other side, basically. That doesn't mm-hmm. use that kind of reasoning, and um, in that camp, you have further breaking breakdowns between basically people who have rallied around one big figurehead who loves esoteric, very abstract problems. And then you have another camp who have rallied around another guy who's like, no, we have to have practical real world examples and Mm -hmm. we're going to get our hands dirty and we're going to factor in wind data and all kinds of stuff like that. So it is frustrating that you do have some portions of academia which are like that guy and they really want to show you, you know, how does this work in the real world? And then you have so many others who are just like, no, let's have a clean, pristine plane that it doesn't exist in physical space and just think about these concepts abstractly. And I'm like I'm like you. I'd assume I want to see how does this actually factor into what I might do on a day to day basis, and I think that would have been cool to have like in, in calculus or in chemistry.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I I am I'm trained as an organic chemist, but I have to say that outside of you know reading research papers or or you know. Whatever you do in in the lab, there's not very many applications where I've I've thought to myself, "Hey, this has to do with organic chemistry." (laughs) So I mean, that's that's kind of a it's hard because if you only see the applications while you're in the classroom, Mm -hmm. it you're right, it it, it's not always very motivating. But when you can make those connections, it's always exciting. I remember there was one time I was taking a logic class and a math class. I want to say it was discrete discrete structures or something like that. Anyway they we we ended up learning some of the same concepts at the same time and it was it was like mind blown like look we're learning the same thing these two completely different classes at the same time and and i i love making connections like that the more connections you make um, whether it is in other classes or you can see something in the real life the more yeah it ingreens yourself in your in your brain
0: i love that i love when i see a similar thing that i've been exposed to once in another source like uh, I don't, so I don't know if you've seen the three hundred movies. No, I think more people sorry. have seen the first one than the second one. I uh-huh. personally like the second one better than the first one, uh, and a lot of people don't. But the the first one is about King Leonidas and the Spartans versus the Persians, and then the second one is mm-hmm. the other half of the Peloponnesian Wars with the Athenians, and. I had read an Athenian history before going to see the second one. So as I'm watching this, a lot of it is totally fictionalized and made to be much more fantastic. But I'm watching things I'd read about. and I'm like, I know what that is. I read about that battle. So because of that, I like the movie more than yeah. I like the first one, because the first one was just kind of a standalone fictional tale for me because I had never read the histories. And I think it's the same with, you know, with chemistry or with statistical concept. If I read about something in one book and then hear it in a podcast or read it in another book. It just stands out more and the, the connection becomes stronger, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it makes it more fun. You can connect
0: mm-hmm. things
1: that you wouldn't have expected to be able to connect in
0: your brain. And that's why when people ask me these questions, because I know like you said, people don't necessarily want to put a whole ton of extra effort into a class they're not already super gung-ho about. Yeah. But I still get lots of questions of like, how do I make studying more fun? And the answer I always drift to is find a way to connect it to something you're already sort of interested in, Mm -hmm. whether it's watching 300 or, I don't know, reading a book that mentions it or, you know, a popular science book by somebody who writes in a bit more lively tone or something like that. Mm -hmm. That always helps to get me more interested.
1: You know, I would add too, um, if you can study in a group or with a study partner, sometimes Mm -hmm. just having the socialization aspect can help to motivate you. And even if... Even if you're not directly, you know, gaining information from that other person, sometimes there is that motivational factor of being with someone else or I have to study because I made an appointment to study with my friend. Mm -hmm. So you meet, you meet up. So
0: So most of my study group attempts in college were complete and utter failures. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We would get together in the basement of the dorm and try to study and inevitably somebody would bring up like the Duke Nukem soundboard and just start making dumb sounds on his computer. So because you advocate this, what are your tips for making a study group useful? Well, maybe
1: you need to find better study partners. That's, <laughs> That's probably a first good step, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so I, I would say... Uh try to find someone who is motivated mm-hmm. hopefully motivated sort of to the same level as you because if there's a huge discrepancy in how motivated you are how much time you're willing to put into studying before you meet to study then you get into some problems so a lot of people think even if someone knows more than the other person in a study group that you should both benefit one person benefit from teaching the other person benefit from you know learning information but it really it really turns into a, a very passive type of learning sometimes when you have someone who's very knowledgeable. So I would say try to pair yourself with someone who's about the same level as you. Okay. And then probably you're going to have your best conversations and best discussions if you know ahead of time where you're going to study. So if you have a plan or you've looked at some practice problems or something ahead of time, mm-hmm. then you'll more likely be on the same page and have more interesting dialogue together because you've had some time to think about it and you you maybe maybe to even help you stay on topic
0: what are your logistical tips for that like maybe at the end of every study session kind of forming a plan for what the next one's going to cover or something like that
1: yeah I mean it depends on how you stay when I did my study groups I I only ever studied right before an exam with with another person really okay so you didn't have like a
0: regular just get together every week and go over that week's content kind of thing
1: I did not usually, unless, you know, I would sometimes get together with someone to um, look over homework problems before we turn them in. Mm -hmm. But usually that was, you know, dependent on when your instructor (laughs) gave you practice problems. So I, I guess it depends. But yeah, if you're going to if you're going to meet regularly with someone, yeah, having a weekly plan or something is, could be very useful. Like, okay, this week we're going to study this topic, this week, this topic. Actually in general, people are not very reflective about how they study. So even the act of trying to figure out with your study partner, uh, you know, what to study next is probably a good, a good exercise to start you thinking about what you need to study next for your class.
0: I think I would do it. One thing that I've mentioned about studying groups is I think it's a good idea to work on the problems yourself first because if you don't then you might be in a situation where you're in the group and maybe somebody is a little bit more knowledgeable about one type of problem and if people get stuck on the problem and that person just basically says the solution it's really just like the teacher presenting (laughs) the solution in the class and you do the same thing where you go oh yeah I understand that that makes Mm -hmm. sense but you haven't actually worked it yourself so you've never you haven't dealt with the struggle and you haven't actually kind of dug through that path yourself so when you do it on the test your friend isn't there to show you the path again.
1: Yep, yeah, that's absolutely I would agree with that and I would I would go further and say that it seems as though I don't know as humans we are absolutely incapable of watching someone else struggle, I think. I mean whether it's working yes. on a problem or <laughs> you know trying to trying to open a can or I mean, whatever it is, as soon as you see someone else struggling, it's like, you want to go over and do it for them. (laughs) And so, yeah, yes, I agree. You need to give yourself that time to struggle yourself and Mm -hmm. to try to, to, to practice problem solving, to do, to practice what you do when you don't know what to do. So yeah, definitely try the, try the problems <laughs> yourself before you, before you uh, meet with your know-it-all group member who can tell you what to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you really, you really hit the nail on the head with that one. People just can't stand to watch somebody else struggle. That's why my girlfriend yeah. and I cannot watch each other play games with puzzles in them. Yeah. Cause if there's like even a five second pause or, uh, sometimes we'll just be watching each other play crossword puzzles or something like really mundane and yeah it's just I can't resist (laughs) saying you don't know that one come on (laughs) and she does the same thing to me so yeah we have to just turn the screen away (laughs) (laughs) yes so for the sake
1: of your relationship yes exactly (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: so are you currently teaching organic chemistry or doing something with your your graduate degree because I know you're doing online things now but
1: Yeah. So at the moment I'm not, I'm not teaching in a formal setting. Mm -hmm. I have a a website called OCHEM study group where I'm putting out study resources and video study guides for organic chemistry students to help them do better on their exams, but not in the, not in a formal setting anymore. I'm no longer, I'm no longer teaching at a, at a college or anything.
0: Okay. So with, uh, with OCHEM study group, is it for just like basic first level undergraduate OCHEM or does it scale up to higher level stuff?
1: Right now, all of the videos that are on the website are with respect to your first semester of organic chemistry. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: so what's the plan? Are you going to scale up to higher levels or are you planning on kind of staying in here or maybe branching out to other science subjects later on?
1: Uh, well, I, I would like to eventually encompass all of organic chemistry. And mm-hmm. once I get to that point, we'll see where it goes from there. Um, I, I think I would like to also include general chemistry as a, as a chemist, you know, those are my, more of my areas of expertise where I can offer help and, and we'll see where it goes from there. But right now I've, I've got my hands full with trying out just to, to put comprehensive coverage of first semester of organic chemistry out there on the web. Cool.
0: Well, I will have a link in the show notes to your site. Is there anywhere else online that you want people to follow you at or connect with you at?
1: Um, so I have a Facebook group as well, which I can give you a link to. And yeah, if anyone has wants, you know, answers to puzzling organic chemistry questions or things they've pondered, um, you know, they can, they can write their questions out there and I'm happy to answer in real time as much as I can to see what, what people's questions are.
0: Great. Well, I will have that linked up in the show notes as well. Thank you for coming on the show, Karen.
1: Thank you. This is, this is fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: me too. All right, well, that about does it for this episode of the College Info Geek Podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this interview and found it useful, and if you enjoyed this show and you want to help support the show in the future and help it grow... One of the best ways that you can do that is by going over to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. It takes just a few minutes to do, and by doing that, you actually help the show grow and rise up the charts in the iTunes rankings, which helps more people see it. And getting feedback also helps me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and I also just love to hear when people are enjoying the show. So definitely if you have a few minutes, I would love it if you went and did that and I hugely appreciate you if you do. Beyond that, if you want to find my favorite resources for improving your life as a student, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com resources and check out all of the apps, tools, and gear over there. And that's all I have for this episode. So once again, thanks for listening. I appreciate you and I'll see you in next week's episode. Till then, stay cute.